You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. The only toll-free call-in webcast produced specifically for Celtics fans. Celtic Stuff Live. All right, welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. John and Justin here. And I hope you had a nice Memorial Day weekend, John. I definitely enjoyed mine. And I will tell you, I want to talk a little bit about the draft. You know, not not that we have any reason to talk about the draft, (laughs) but I do want to talk a little bit about the draft. And I know we're going to get into all things Boston Celtics with our guest from ESPN Boston, Chris Forsberg, in just a little bit. You know, Chris is uh, is always a great guest on the show. I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Chris, Chris is you know obviously he goes he goes way back with us like so many of our our guests but you know always love having Chris on and he always you know he takes things from a, a bit of a different perspective I think sometimes so look forward to seeing where he's waning things are so up in the air right now there's so many possibilities we could we could do a six hour show every week probably and and not cover everything so hopefully Chris will uh, give us some answers get it let us all figure it out figure it all out, and then we could go on our time doing something else. But I'm guessing we're not going to get there, and probably by the time of the end, end of the interview, we're not going to be closer to figuring out where this thing is going than, than any, any of the rest of us are. This thing is so crazy unpredictable, so many assets, so many, assets, so many options. It's really, uh, it's, it's, it's almost too much because it, it makes it impossible to even bring up legitimate conjecture because, you know, the truth is, is anything's on the table. It's yep. so wild, the position with the cap space and everything else that this team is in. Now, I will tell you this. I've been having a nice back and forth with at Off the Bench on Twitter. Uh, at Off the Bench, is, he, he loves, loves, <laughs> I believe, Dragon Bender. Well, and I'm not, you know, I don't know if I'm really... That's not too strong a word either. Let, let, that's not too, it's not putting it too strongly there. There is there is passion there for Bender, absolutely. And he's never met the guy. No, but for real, I I I want to believe Bender. I want to believe that he is going to be, you know, the consensus number three. You know, I want to and listen the skill set and the high upside potential. I'm going to go in the wayback machine and, and pull out high upside potential, and just say that you know that's obviously there. I'm concerned about the percent chance of of bust. Now, 
we've been trading articles, and interestingly, you know, I'll send an article, you know, I'll tweet an article at him for, you know, sort of saying why Bender's a good one, but then, you know, he'll tweet an article back at me about Jalen Brown. So I think you know Jalen Brown's a guy I want to go with for a couple right. of reasons. NBA-ready body. I don't think there's, you know, I think I said this on the show last week, but I don't believe in, in over-aggressive being an issue. Then we read an article um, that was really, really good by Mark J. Spears, good friend of ours. And, you know, Mark's talking. He almost sounds a little bit like Rajon Rondo in the article. Like, you can just see Jalen Brown playing Connect Four, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. But, you know, both of them are came into the league, you know, with the criticism of their jump shot. That's the irony of it. But I think the physical gifts are there. I think that the work ethic and the intelligence is definitely there. Jalen Brown says... I'm going to go ahead and declare for the draft without an agent. I'm not, you know. Now, he's getting the NBA uh, Players Union to help him out a little bit. He's got advisors. Also, I saw a video with Rajon Rondo playing Connect Four with Isaiah Thomas. So if you want to make a, a connection, then you can go to Jalen Brown and, and the fact that one of his mentors is Isaiah Thomas. Not the Boston Celtics Isaiah Thomas, but Isaiah Thomas of the Larry Bird era and the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> You know, but it's interesting. It's a gamble, but I'm telling you, if I have a man crush on anybody in this draft, it's actually Jalen Brown, and we hadn't really seen him come into play from it's always Buddy Heald. It's always Chris Dunn. You never hear anybody talking about Jalen Brown of the Celtics. Now I'm going to say one thing. Draft Express, I think it was over the weekend, but I'm not sure how recently, but Jalen Brown moved up ahead of Dragon Bender on their mock draft board going to the Celtics with a number three pick. I found that very interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Browns. I, that's, that's the way I would go. You know, he's 6'7", 220-plus pounds, NBA-ready, small forward, and he's got all the athletic ability, and he's still young. He has the upside of Ingram and Simmons, but the fact is he doesn't pass or shoot as well as either of those individuals, and that's probably why he's not a consensus you know, top three pick and a, and a lock in behind those, you know, in lockstep behind those two. Right. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Jalen Brown. Uh, <laughs> so at least we're going to, well, at least this will make for good radio. I don't agree with you, but at least I know we're going to talk about for the next four months now. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's, it, as you said, let, let's, let's take what we know, which is that I think it's very interesting. Draft Express doesn't make doesn't move people around their draft order or their mock drafts willy nilly. They don't just do it on a whim. They don't do it for no apparent reason. If something moves, they have they have some good reason as to why they're moving up Brown ahead of ahead of Bender. I don't know why. I don't know how. But there's got to be a reason, and I, and I would suspect there's going to be some discussion. This week, they'll have either another mock they'll come out in advance of the finals or something. There will be some discussion as to why that happened. But just speculating here, right? Sunday night, we're just speculating what, what's going on. I think, Bender, I think Bender is somebody who is going to excite some player, some teams. I think Brown is going to excite some teams. Um, I think the unknown with both of those guys, let's hope that for both of them, it's because the unknown is so exciting, it's so tantalizing. Their upside is so great, as opposed to we've seen what those guards can do, and I'm talking about Dunn, Murray, and uh, um, Dunn, oh my God, Dunn, Murray, and Heald, 
and they're doing so poorly in workouts that people are walking away from them. Let's hope that's not the case. You know, it doesn't. No, we need the hype machine to get on that. That that it, exactly. the train needs to just be like that Coors Light commercial from a few <laughs> years back, where you know everybody hops on it. Everybody has a Coors Light. The next thing you know, you know, it's like hot women and all over the place, and the train's coming through. Yeah. That's what we need. We need a hype machine to make that pick more and more valuable. Let me ask you this: with that pick, you know, you look at you know you look at uh, our conversations about Gordon Hayward, right? At the trade deadline, I was in the favor of uh, in the camp of, in favor of trading Hayward. It probably at the time, and I can't remember. I didn't go back and listen to the show, but we probably talked about having to add something with Hayward, like an Av- Avery Bradley. I mean, now that Avery Bradley's all NBA, uh, all M- all defensive NBA first team, I think I just botched that NBA all defensive first team. Now that we know that, and we know that it is the number three pick and not just a potential, you know, number one pick, you know, the lottery's been decided, mm-hmm. you know, would you still would you still think that, that that my willingness to trade maybe those two pieces for Hayward is still a good move at this point? Um no what I know now, would I trade number three and Bradley now for for Hayward? Or are you saying Exactly that. Would you trade yeah. number three and Bradley yeah. for Hayward? Hayward, now that yes. you know what you've got. I think it would. Because I think Bradley, well, I love Bradley. Um, I don't think, I think his size uh, is on this team isn't as big as a help. They need, they need players who can play the small forward position. And I think that, that Hayward can slide to the three, the two, the three, in the same way that, that what you got out of Evan Turner all season. They need an Evan Turner. They need somebody to fill that role, either start at the three and, and bump Crowder to the four, or when you're playing against bigger teams, play play him at, at uh, the two position, Crowder at the three, and you're going to need a big. We're but <laughs> let's not go there quite yet. And and they, you, you know, you've got Isaiah. To me, that's that's the that's where you need. That's the type of size you need at that position to be able to swing both ways between the two and the three. I, I, I think Bradley's a good player. They obviously missed him. He obviously was a huge loss for them as they're going against the Hawks there in the first round. But I think that Hayward's a better player um, now. And he fills the need. You you go Andy from average shooter. You go from average shooter to above average shooter. And you and I, since we are 100% in Marcus Smart's camp, are yeah. clearly going to take the stance that we can lose Bradley's defense yeah. if we, especially to your point, can move Crowder to the four, Hayward at the three, Smart and Thomas start in the backcourt. Now now Smart gets his chance to grow. I think he. I think Smart's a closer. Yeah. And I love him out on the floor. He doesn't have all the ball handling pressure, so he can focus on defense, expand his game, and we get the offense that we don't have now yep. at a level that we don't have now. I agree. I would make that trade. And the reason I threw that out there is, you know, is so was to propose really in sort of a subtle way, do we really need this number three pick to, to really get on that Coors Light style hype machine? <laughs> or do we just need a team like Utah to fall in love with a player that they don't think that they can get if they don't take number three. And then who would, who might that player be? I, I not even, I don't even know who that question is, but as you start to look at which teams you really want to make a deal with, 
Yeah. We maybe can sift through this. I'm not saying we have to do it tonight because we really don't have the time to do it tonight. We've got to go talk to Chris. But I think we need to start looking at it from that perspective. All right, what opportunities? Blake Griffin, Jaleel Okafor, right? All of these guys, Jimmy Butler, all these names. Gordon Hayward, not really one of them except, you know, sort of, you know, the connection, the obvious connection to Brad Stevens that we've talked about and just the position he plays. And we don't want to trade for an oldie. You know, we want somebody who's still fairly young. If we're going to move somebody like Bradley and, and a pick, we still want somebody that is going to be on this team for years to come. But I think we need to start looking at it like, you know, what position players are available in this draft. I mean, really, it's a guard-heavy draft. That's why Philadelphia is never going away in the conversation leading up to the draft. Well, where we are, I think where I think you're right. Where we are, at least, you know, the three to seven, it's a guard-heavy situation. And, and with some pretty big question marks about the two players who could be picked um, where we have needs, both small forward and, and uh, you know, really the center and the, and the four position. So the three, four, five is where we have needs. That's really the guys with the biggest question marks, probably the guys with the biggest upside, but the guys with the biggest question marks are those two, uh, or, or, you know, Brown and Bender. I don't think we're beyond the point where the Lakers won't look at Somebody else beyond Ingram and well, I think beyond Ingram at at two. I don't think that they're. I think the Lakers are casting a wide net, and I don't think that we should just assume that that there is no way Brandon Ingram is available at three. We saw this last year. They tried to dance a bit with Porzingis. They didn't get close enough. But I would not be at all surprised to see the Lakers bring Bender in once his season's over. And potentially that could be a place where things happen. Um, I, Do you I, want you to know, trade the pick in that case then? No, I don't think you need to. I think you just wait. At that point you just look. make the pick, right? Make the pick. Let let Ingram come to you because he fits so many of the, the different pieces on the board that you need. Shooting, size, uh, you know, he's... And he, I think he can. I think he can play for Shashevsky. He fits the stu, You know, he fits the cerebral game that's going to be played in Boston yeah. under Brad Stevens, no he's doubt. Or I mean, his his range. I mean, I don't think he's he's not thirty five feet. He's not Buddy Heald range, but he's going to spread the floor. He's going to open things up for uh, for guys like Smart and uh, you know guys who aren't quite those. You know, that plus plus shooter. Um, you know Crowder being another guy in that level, and I also think he has that still has some upside that you can package him in a year or two and get something else. There's very few deals that happen with top top of the draft players. That there are very few. You go look back ten years, fifteen years. You, it really is a really small small number of deals that are done for the first pick for established players. And so Danny's trying to really do something here that hasn't been done often. Really, Ray Allen, the Ray Allen deal is the, is an anomaly. You could even throw in the, uh, and this is kind of a delayed deal, but the deal that the Nets did for Darren Williams, um, you know, sending out, uh, you know, to to Utah, and Derek Favors, a guy who was a top pick, but you don't see these deals for these picks often. Danny's in a very different situation, and you know if you got someone of Darren Williams' care, you know caliber, and remember at that point he was it was between him and Chris Paul between the the one and one A of point guards in the league. It didn't work out for Brooklyn, obviously, but 
that's you know, you're, that's the that's the caliber of player you can attract with that pick. So let's not, you know, I know a lot of people saying well, we need to package it with another player. We need, and I know that's not where you're going necessarily with that, but this pick has real value, folks. Even if you're disappointed that it wasn't, you know, number one, wasn't number two, a surefire chance to get Ingram or Simmons, you've got a real opportunity here to make a deal and get somebody of some real value. Well, and you basically answered the question from our new Twitter follower friend and question submitter to Celtic Stuff Live, RJ Hunter twenty eight. You know, he asked us for the show how much added value the number three pick has because the Lakers really are interested in Bender and Ingram may fall to us. Um, you know, obviously, if those rumors get heavier and heavier, there's definitely a chance that the number three pick is going to have more value. But I'm going to just summarize what you said, John, and say that the value of that pick may be even more valuable to the Celtics and not in trade. Keep in mind, the more valuable that pick becomes, not just in a smoke and mirrors or somebody trying to move up or, or make a you know. You know, like like Danny said, my job's to prevent us from doing something stupid. Well, there may be a team that wants to do something stupid at that number three pick. Who knows, right? They may be willing to to give away the farm. I doubt it, but it could happen. But keep in mind, the more value that Bender moves up into that consensus number two zone and pushes somebody down, the value of the player available at number three is also increasing to the Celtics. So, uh, yeah, that number three pick definitely has more value. If 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 uh, either Ingram or Simmons could fall, absolutely. But that value may be to the Celtics and not necessarily in trade. That's All right, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're absolutely right. That that's and and that's what I think we're going to have to see is internally. Those are the decisions I think they're going to really be racking their brains about <laughs> in the Celtics offices. You know, I think there may be things available to them. But it may be more it may be more valuable to hold on sit where where they are. Who knows? Yeah, well Ingram would still allow us to do what I was just talking about mm-hmm. with the Hayward or we were just talking about with Hayward and moving moving somebody over to the four, you know, Jay Crowder. And that might have to happen depending on what happens with Sullinger anyway. But let's go to our guest for the show. Uh, Chris Forsberg, but real first, just going to remind everybody about our sponsor at Loot Crate. The onslaught of big summer blockbusters makes May, well, we're almost done with May. I'm going to go ahead and say June, the perfect time to celebrate some of pop culture's unstoppable, unrelenting, and unbeatable characters and objects. So Loot Crate's got something you can carry, something for your kitchen, a cool figure to go with their monthly tea and pin featuring two Marvel teams and Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z, no one should have all of this power. So Loot Crate, just in case you don't know what it is, and really what I would say is, if you're already using a service like Loot Crate and you're a big fan of Celtic Stuff Live, I'd ask you to just try Loot Crate. See if you like it better than the service you're using now. It's a monthly subscription box service for Epic Geek and Gamer items uh, for pop culture gear. Less than $20 a month, you get 68 items that includes licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, really, and more. So you have until every month on the 19th at 9 p.m. specific to subscribe, and then you get that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that it's, it's over. So to, to help support the show, if you do decide to choose Loot Crate service or you move your current service over to Loot Crate, you got to help make sure that, that Celtic Stuff Live gets some credit for that. So when you go to LootCrate.com, go to LootCrate.com and then backslash CLNS and enter this promo code CLNS Radio, you also will save... $3 on any new subscription if you do that. 
So again, Loot Crate, big shout out to them, our sponsor. Joining us now, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, and uh, taking a little time out of the holiday weekend to join us on Celtic Stuff Live. So a big thank you, Chris, for letting us crouch in on, you know, typically uh, an extended weekend with family and and, and to have some fun. But uh, there is going to be one more game in the OKC Golden State uh, saga that's been very interesting, and I know by the time this airs, that'll have been determined. But um, you know, all the all these eyes on Durant, and then the water water got poured on it, and now there, I think there's a little bit of room in everybody's heart for for that rumor to resurge. I guess I guess we'll see. But uh, did you have a nice Memorial Day? I did, I did. I was hoping you were going to ask me for a prediction, and then we could like record two different versions. And then I could have you guys just splice in the correct answer so I could sound really smart. Well, John, John, what do you think is the correct answer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Jeez. I don't know. I don't know what the correct answer is. Put me on the spot. This is Chris. This is Chris's time to be on the spot. Man, I think it's going yeah, to state I, I, tonight. I really do. I, I, that's the way I'm feeling right now. I don't know how you guys feel. but Yeah, I I, I got to agree. I, I, and hopefully we, we won't all sound like, like idiots tomorrow morning. But um, you got to think, flying back home and winning the way they did in game six, that, that Golden State is the, the heavy favorite in this one. But you know what? Uh, I didn't think the Warrior. Uh, the, I didn't think Oklahoma City was going to get to the Spurs. I didn't think they were going to go up 3-1. Uh, I wouldn't put them past it, put it past them to to find a way. Uh, so hopefully that hedges my bets in case they do come back come back and win. Well, you know, obviously the team wants to improve through uh, through free agency, and that's uh, that's a big target. I think we have to kind of get through the playoffs all the way through and and see what happens with some of the picks and 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 trade season as that emerges, but. From a from a draft perspective, this is something we threw at our guest last week, Scott Souza, and we'll throw it at you as well. It seems like there's a, obviously a consensus top two, but it seems like Bender is uh, definitely trying to emerge as you know maybe a top three lock. But I will tell you, Draft Express updated their mock draft uh, sometime in the last few days. I think it was over the holiday week, and I didn't catch it until Saturday morning, but I don't know how many days that it, that it might have been up there. But Jalen Brown sliding into the number three projected draft position to go to the Celtics. And I think the first time that we haven't seen Bender there, uh, I know Danny is or has been out into Europe recently. I think he may be back by now. I'm not sure exactly. But to scout Bender with his son, Austin, do you have a favorite of all of these, okay, you know, there's probably four or five guys that could go number three that aren't in a consensus top three. There's only the consensus top two. Do you have kind of a favorite? I'm not asking for total analysis. I'm just saying, who's your who's your man crush for for number three if the Celtics <laughs> even keep it? Well, it's funny because I, I just started kind of digging in, and uh, like like I don't want to play dumb, but I, you know during the during the Celtics season, I don't don't watch a lot of college basketball. Both out of like you know it just doesn't interest me quite as much as the pro game, and I, I kind of look at it curiosity, especially during the tournament. But it isn't until after the season this time of year that I'll probably start going through tape. And uh, you know I started watching Bender this weekend. And it's certainly intriguing. I get the hype, but he's also a very raw 18-year-old. And so 
I don't know. I guess the, the problem I'm running into as I start looking over this is that there is no favorite sort of jumping out yet. And that's worrisome because you want someone to distinguish themselves and you can sort of sell yourself on any of these guys. But I kind of find myself defaulting to maybe what the Celtics need. And if we've learned anything, it's something that Danny repeats every draft season is that, you know, you can't fall into that trap because rosters change so much and so quickly that you don't want to say, okay, well, maybe the guy they should take is the center because they need to fill a, a rim protector or they need to fill size. Um, you know, it, it's so it, you don't want to take a guard because they've already got plenty of guards. You know, you blink your eyes and a trade has happened and all of a sudden they've got a need for a guard. So um, no one jumps out quite yet. I think the Celtics are hopeful that someone does start screaming up the boards and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they wouldn't mind if uh, if Chris Dunn gets up there or if Bender gets some more hype and get some, you know, get people get interested in that number three pick. But if they end up ultimately having to, to, to if, the, if the two guys we expect, Simmons and Ingram, go off first, as you know, as, as seems to be obvious, you know, I, I do wonder what their plan will be. And I think that's why everyone just sort of wonders if they'll ultimately trade the pick or look around, you know. Uh, it's going to be very curious to see uh, what they do and, and who emerges in the next like, uh, next four weeks here. Well, we're we're about three weeks away from Danny Ainge's, uh, you know, his. I I think it's a seasonal thing at this point to to come on and talk with you all of you guys who are huddled around and okay, what's he going to say? He's going to give us something, and and he does his best to really set expectations rock bottom low, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and you guys have to go out and, and say, you know, Danny says nothing's going on. And, um, you know, but at the same point, there is the back channel stuff that has to go on to make people get excited. Like, as you said, get excited about a bender and a, and a Chris Dunn. Um, I, I, you know, I, like you, I look at this situation and it's, it seems like everything is so close from three to seven that any of these guys could, you know, you have guys who could fit a need, but they're maybe a little bit more raw. At the same point, these, <laughs> the players that seem ready to plug in and be part of a winning team, which obviously these Celtics probably want to be next season, it's somewhat, there's some, some redundancy there. Um, what is your, what is your thought in terms of, how how ready does someone need to be that the Celtics draft, or can they just say, okay, yeah. best player available, and you know, kind of tattooed on their forehead until you know, the cows come home? Can they actually just blindly <laughs> say best player available, ignore a player who and pass likely on a couple players who could really help them win playoff games next season? Yeah, so certainly, I think they're and, and Danny sort of already started, just like you said, sort of laying the foundation for. Hey, you know, I want fireworks, but we want to not get fireworks. And if the best player available is going to take two years to develop, we got to be okay with that. And you know, that's understandable. Like I, I do believe him when he says he wants what's best for the long-term sustainability of the franchise, and you can't be short-sighted with that. I think we all know, you know, this is year number three, waiting for fireworks, and people are antsy, and people are uh, probably have heightened expectations, not just after winning 48 games, but you know, the two first round exits in a row, the, the natural inclination is to want more, uh, especially when you know that this team, when healthy, is probably capable of more. So 
he's in a tough spot because I do think there's a little bit of, of, of those expectations that will fuel um, what exactly he does. But on the flip side, you look at it, and I mean, you got eight picks. You, you know, next year's draft is the one that everyone keeps saying is loaded, and it, you know that's where the real stars are. And uh, so you got to be mindful of that. That you know, next year, if you're in this, if you're fortunate enough to be in this position where you have multiple picks and a chance to add two more young guys, then maybe you stay in this draft and develop mode and just kind of embrace that. Uh, ultimately, it'll come down to you know they'll know by draft night what's feasible with what they have right now. And can they make moves? And they might not necessarily know if they'll be able to woo a free agent, and, and that could change everything. But they'll at least have some idea about what's feasible with the draft picks. Which you know, are they going to make a move with whether it be with pick three or sixteen or twenty-three or whatever, and you know, get an established talent? Then maybe you're looking more towards a, a guy who comes right in and helps. But if there's just nothing out there, and you should kind of look around and say, okay. You know, no one here jumps off the page, but we think this Bender kid with another couple of years of development is going to be something, you know, better than, than what else we could get here. And there's a more of an upside, a more of an all-star projection or starter projection, whatever you want to call it, uh, for this guy than, than, than necessarily taking someone else. And then so maybe you got to examine that. And, I, you know, I know that's just, again, I feel like I'm just hedging on everything here, but it, it's it's you gotta like sort of it, all, everything the Celtics do moving forward is so hinges on whatever domino falls before it, and so you know their strategy in the free agency might be different depending on what they come out of the draft with or if they make a move. It just all kind of goes together, uh, and and the, I guess the hard part there is that you know, what they do on draft night will sort of probably lock them into to well maybe or at least make a, a one of those paths more favorable. And then who knows with free agency, but you know, I, I, I like we opened with it it seeing seeing Durant one went went away potentially by the time people listen to this playing in the NBA finals, uh free agency is looking more and more daunting by the day and uh you know it it certainly would help if they could find a way to get some some more impact talent on draft night if if that's an available path. You know, Chris, you had that article uh, talking about Terrence Knighton joining the Patriots and then being close friends with Kevin Durant and trying to pull him to Boston saying, oh, yeah, when when his season's up, I'm going to be blowing up his phone. Do you think, I mean, how much does that really come into play? I mean, I, it's, a, it's a great headline, and it's awesome to see right. all the recruiting, even with, even with Isaiah Thomas. You know, look at him covering Easter Conference Finals games three and four, there's a lot of Celtics broadcasting, so to speak, of you know recruiting and wanting these players to come. And Boston's a good place, but uh, you know, do you think that 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 Terrence Knighton can have even a small impact on on Kevin Durant's decision to you know figure out where his future is? I mean, the likelihood is he takes a one-year deal and uh, lets the salary cap adjust and then see how they perform next year, uh, unless, you know, obviously they have a shot at winning the, the finals. But that's still sort of a likely move. Do you think Terrence Knighton really has any pull here at all? It can't hurt, right? Like, the more people that are that have direct access to, to Kevin Durant's cell phone, the, the better your chances. I guess if, uh, if I was sitting around and trying to decide which podcast to go on and everyone was texting me, hey, those CSL guys are... A okay, and they're the team you want to you want to talk to. I I wonder if I would be more inclined. Like we all go on Yelp and read the ratings and, and stuff like that. So like 
I can see a, a a way that that some recruitment would help. Now, I don't think necessarily the the Patriots defensive tackle who happened to play a random game of one on one with uh, Kevin Durant is is the guy who's going to put him over the, the the edge. But you know, I, I think I, I go back to it when when Durant was here, he spoke highly of it, and when you have people in your ear and just telling you good things about this place and 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 maybe encouraging you, it's a little bit easier to consider it. And so. Uh, if there's enough Terrence Knightons out there, maybe maybe Kevin Durant is more all the more likely at least to make a visit, and and so that can't help. I mean, I felt it this way too is that I 100% agree that the likelihood is he's, he's going to take the one-year deal, and we'll do this all over again in a year's time, and even then things might not change. But um, it, even if they were to get him to visit, that's a huge win for the Celtics because every other free agent in the league is going to say, well. Kevin Durant went to Boston or got a meeting with Boston or took him, whatever. However, even if it's the Celtics going to him, that's uh, that would be an important thing for this franchise because uh, it shows there's interest from the highest level of, of free agents, and that would be encouraging because it's just gonna it's gonna have a trickle down effect on other guys, especially into the future. I love the way you answered that because you could have gone another direction and said. You know, uh, if you look at all the the, uh, ratings and reviews on Rain and Jays, you know, if I were you, John Duke, I would make a change and and go to the other podcast. So I appreciate... The uh, the solidarity for the you know you you definitely put us in a good light there I liked I liked where you took that I don't know if you do this but John's actually defected to rating Jays already once so I have. you know yeah he has now Jay King did come come to us too but you know I, I you know the chemistry is established it is what it is but I just wanted you to know like you definitely could have taken that a different direction it might have hurt my feelings. No, never, never. I listen, and, and this, this is, this is, you know, for me, I go around to everybody, and I respect everybody's game. I think you all do great work. So you don't know who you're picking at number three. You know what? I wish I did, and I, like it, 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 it would be a lot more fun. I, you know, it's funny because, like, especially this time of year when you're sitting here trying to figure out what to write, I really wish I had a horse I could pick. And like, kind of hammer away with it. But like I said, like I this morning, I'm sitting there watching clips, and um, um, I've almost convinced myself that the Celtics should trade down, and you know, at maybe they find just as much value at six or seven. And so I'm looking at the teams at six or seven, and wondering, you know, how do they get value? You know, I think Denver is one of the few teams with multiple picks to trade down. I think they're at seven or something like that. You know, they also have 15, and then I think about, you know, what the Celtics have gotten around 15, and, you know, both, you know, while, while Terry Rozier and, and James Young have shown potential, they're, they're you know, I, I think we, we'd say that Terry's ahead of James at this point, and, uh, but neither is really kind of kicking in the door, and that's understandable. Terry's only had a year to sort of show himself, and uh, James just really hasn't put, put step forward yet, but he's young, so you, you give him the benefit, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but you know, do you want to tie yourself into another guy in that? Who, when when you have a chance to maybe get the guy who should be a little bit more impactful at, at three? You know, you don't get a lot of number three picks in the history of the franchise, and so you want to kind of maximize this opportunity. So it's it's just tough. I I, I sit there and, and and wonder. You know, I, I'm I'm probably paying more attention now to how these guys are are emerging at these workouts and. Um, we'll be interested when the Celtics bring them in and how they match them up and how they really get a read 
on who some of the, the better talent is. And that's hard when you get, when you're talking about the top guys, because uh, a lot of them only want to do private workouts and, and they want to fit under their, their criteria. So it, it's going to make things even more difficult for the Celtics. Uh, I guess if you're a Celtics fan, that's why it's encouraging to see Danny and, and his, his front office staff pick up and go, go overseas to get a closer look at a lot of these guys that um, whether it's Bender or, or others lower in the draft to stash, um, it's uh, they, they're they're certainly trying to get as much information as they can and and try to make the best decision possible. I'll, I'll say this: the the Utah kid, yeah, Jakob Pertle, whose name I will butcher for the rest of the the draft <laughs> season. Um, you know, I it, everyone keeps talking about Okafor, and I remember those two got matched up. I think it was last year when when Pertle was sort of on the fence about whether he was going to come out, and he kind of went back. And, you know, the kid certainly rocketed up the board. I don't, not necessarily saying he's, he's at three, but I watch clips of him and I watch, and I think about the Celtics need and, you know, part of me is sitting there saying, man, you know, I think that's a great pick if they were somewhere in that maybe a little bit lower six to six to 10 range. Um, and so I don't, but it's, again, it's hard for me to say, you know, move back when you so rarely have that opportunity at three and you just, you hate to, to to wonder what might be if they if they take someone like a Murray or a Heald or and 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 they find someone. So I, I don't know. It's it, it's just I'm I'm so I'm so on the fence right now and and uh, I don't and I almost don't envy the position the, that Danny Ainge is in. Uh, but I, I again I guess the Celtics fans can default to the fact that they're gonna they they put in as much effort as as anybody in this league and probably more uh, than most teams and they're gonna they're gonna find their guy. Yeah, well, that's what I think is so interesting this year, Chris, about about Bender. I mean, I'm not. I'm like you. I mean, I probably. I mean, I've been I've been reading these guys and watching the Draft Express videos for the last you know several months. You know, I was watching you know Nets games to see them. I was watching Suns games to make sure that they won. So you know, so this you know this is we've all been talking about this. But the thing with Bender that really is interesting to me is one the Celtics haven't drafted really an international talent going at any point really in terms of number one picks at any point unless you want to count Fab Mello which I don't think any of us want to do that <laughs> uh, we're going back to Jerome Jerome Moiso. so wow. yeah right so well, wait, wait, wait to see this thing <laughs> We're establishing cred right now to talk Jerome Moiso. Um but you know, you look at you go back and, and Ainge has really stayed away from European talents. He hasn't done really a lot of draft and stash stuff except for you know with Colton Iverson and, and um right. you know, the, the Marcus Thornton two point oh. Uh mm-hmm. so we have this is kind of a new thing. And so one, it looks like Bender has an opt out. It's kind of uncharted territory too for them, and this it seems looking at some of the national publications, they say the Celtics hadn't invested as much internationally as some other teams have, and we've certainly seen how San Antonio's done. But this is really a huge case to look at, you know, really to test some uncharted waters for the Celtics. They've done well domestically. I I, th- I feel I know there's. There are doubters out there, but I think they've done outstanding uh, in, in in scouting the college game. But Bender presents a whole host of things. He, there's, as you said, it, he checks all the boxes in the needs category. But when you look at 
<laughs> certainly his production playing in a, in a, in, a, in an adult league, a, a very mature, good league. The numbers really aren't there to to get you all that excited, and you have to project potential, and that potentially makes this the biggest risk of of any draft pick of Danny Ainge's career in Boston. Yeah, so ESPN just can't, we'll probably have more on this coming up, but they're 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 doing this uh, this this they project where you know they give draft grades to all their all the all the up, upcoming guys, and they project like what their percentage of success is and, and what their percentage of bust is. And I actually don't have um Bender in front of me, but I'm going to assume the bust rate is high just because there's just not a lot of information on him and there's not a lot of minutes on him. And it's tough to, to necessarily project. You know, when I watched, I pulled up the clips and I, I click on offense and I see him, you know, make an and one three pointer and then he crashes from the three-point line and puts back as uh, uh, a put-back dunk. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm ready to jump on the high train. And then you kind of you click on the defensive tab, and you watch him kind of really struggle, uh, even though he's very versatile and they're clearly trying to show that he can, can defend down to like wings and stuff like that. It's uh, it's still he's an 18-year-old kid who's who's learning how to defend as a seven-footer, and so you start to worry. You know, again, it goes back to how patient do you want to be. And so if the Celtics are in this for the long term and you believe that his ceiling is much higher than everybody else, then absolutely you, you, you consider that draft and stash. And that's going to be a hard sell for your fan base. You know, again, we, we, we keep saying it. Like we're, Celtics fans are looking for impact talent. That's why every time someone's rumored to be disgruntled or on the market, there's like three blogs about what, what, what trade package they could throw together or why we should, what Celtics should roll the dice on them. And uh, and that, it's going to be – I can't even imagine what's going to happen in July uh, because we're just going to write about every every single rumor that comes up the Celtics will be attached to. Uh, and that's a good thing if you're a Celtics fan because that's what you want your team to be in position to do. Um, but that doesn't make June 23rd any easier. And, uh, you know, I, I do agree. I, I, I think – I will say that I think the Celtics have put – uh, a lot of more resources into overseas scouting. Not that they didn't before. I just think they've increased their numbers in terms of got, uh, the eyes they have stationed overseas to watch these guys. And I think they recognize that you know it's probably it's probably just it, I don't know if it's called an anomaly or not that they haven't picked a lot of of, of overseas guys, but maybe they just generally have. Uh, like the players that are that are domestic more than, than international spots they've been, but especially when you have a draft picks and especially when you have a roster that can't you know hold more than 15 guys and you've got a ton of guys projected to come back, uh, you do have to consider ways to, to stash these guys and, and find a way to develop talent overseas while then reintegrating it. And listen, it's worked super supremely for the for the Spurs, and uh, if they can, the Celtics can find a way until these rosters expand uh to, to to develop talent overseas they got to consider it you know and uh i just wonder because you know if you're a selfish fan if they take bender at three i think your your natural inclination is well pay the million dollars get him over here and let's start developing him but not necessarily sure that's the best idea especially if the selfish have other means of of sort of improving their roster and trying to develop off of what they did this year i don't know if the if the main slash Crash minutes here is is as worthwhile as keeping them overseas and maybe trying to put them against better competition and and just at least having another set of eyes developing them over there. 
but again, it, it adds a wrinkle to, to the difficulty uh, that they face next month. Well, you talk about making some of those moves, trying to improve on their success this season. Avery Bradley gets named uh, to the all-defensive first team, and you tweeted out not only did he get named to the team, but he was the third overall votes getter. And I wonder, is this going to end up – I mean, he is such a targeted piece in any trade. You talk about a player who has value. He has value on many levels. His contract is one of the most – friendliest contracts out in the league tons of value there would leave any team that we were trading with plenty of of cap space especially with the bump they're about to get and he's all defensive first team uh really one of their best three-point shooters i know he's average across the league statistically but he also had to carry a lot of that in this uh you know, in this season, he had to he had to shoulder some offense. I know that he struggled because of the injury, and then basically didn't get playing time in the postseason. But did that really hurt his trade value? Is this is is this, or let me ask you it a different way: Is this a case where the Celtics might be getting the most value in trading Avery Bradley, or would they be trading away a player? And I know it always depends on what they get back. But is his trade value likely to go up from here? In your opinion? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, I really didn't ponder that. And it, it, it certainly makes sense that at a time when he's getting, uh, you know, a pretty notable recognition. And, you know, I think I, I, one of the things I noticed was that if you average out the salary of, of, a, of your average first teamer this year, it's like $17 million. And there's Avery at 8.2. Uh, certainly a, 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 what seems like a very bargain contract. Now, a lot of those guys on the first teamer have a, a lot more offense they shoulder, but you know Avery's role on this team is is no less important than than some of those others. So, yeah, you know I, I think he's at a he's at a pretty high point in terms of value. He maybe the injury in the postseason would worry some a little bit just because you know he wasn't there and he does have a little bit of an injury history. But I don't think it's enough to discourage. I think he's certainly a guy that when teams call and 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 you know throw deals back and forth that he's probably a guy who comes up pretty often because. Um, because he has that two-way talent, and uh, the salary would help match when you're when you're talking about a bigger deal. But um, I do think it, it's tough. I, you know, part of the, what I think the, the why the Celtics are so in a, in a good position is the fact that they have all these sort of cheap talent and cheap developing guys. And, and I keep thinking about it. Avery, I think, is 25. You know, he's the, the longest tenured guy on the team since that that draft. But you know, it's uh, it's crazy that he's still so young because they got him so young. And uh, you do wonder if there's still even more potential for him to develop, especially on the offensive side. And if he gets more consistent with that three point shot, uh, it's hard necessarily to say that, that it's, a, it, it's, he, you know, that he has the maximum trade value right now, because I just don't know if you get that as much value as you have right now back or, or if you do, you get a player who puts up comparable numbers or maybe, more offensive than defensive, but you're paying more for it. And so um, I think maybe maybe Avery's is about a good spot. Now, the, the, the question is, of course, he plays one of the top positions in the league. And I think if you're it, most Celtics fans, what their only frustration is, you know, you see some of the, the shooting guards around the league averaging 20-plus points, and you start thinking, well, maybe Avery's more of a six-man or, you know, guy you can bring off the bench. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case if you, if you, if you add in the value of the defensive side. So... Um, but yeah, they've got a bunch of guys like that, and whether it's Avery or Jay, um, they've all got they've got value, and and they've all got 
teams are that the kind of guys that teams would like to have, but they're on such friendly deals that I think that's the biggest luxury for, for Boston right now that you can go pursue those other free agents with them on your roster, whereas you don't want to overpay to get comparable talent. You know, you hear people all the time say, well, is it really that much of an upgrade from, from say, Crowder to, to Butler? And, well, there is. You know, Jimmy Butler is, is, is pretty elite in this league, but part of what makes the Jay Crowder experience so great is that you know he's still developing and you know he's, he's on a, on a cost-efficient deal for, for the long term. And so you guys kind of balance that and the, as you're building these rosters. And the, uh, the, this huge cap spike makes that a little bit more daunting. But um, I, I do think that while they're, they're encouraged, they're, while they're intriguing trade chips, I think the, the bigger, the, the more, the subs are more likely to, uh, uh, to, to move others in those, in those spots. But then it gets more difficult because you hear people say, well, throw Marcus Martin trade or whatever. And I think that's tough to stomach because I think they really think he has an excellent chance of, of developing uh, I keep saying he's their best chance at a, you know, the next homegrown star, and he's certainly got some work to do on both sides of the ball, but you know, offensively more than defensively. But you just watch him, and you know he's got that that little something special. And and I'm 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 interested to see where him, maybe more than anybody, how they develop. Yeah, well, and and that's that that's it's as as intriguing it is to talk about who who to target. It's it's probably even it's just as interesting to say, well, who do you have to give up, right? That's the that's the real challenge, you know. Um, last one from us, and, and as we're gonna let you get ready and, and situated for for Game Seven, uh, <laughs> which everyone by the time everyone listens to this, they'll already know. So all the sort of anticipation in my voice is completely dead to them. Uh, but but looking at the the next the next chapter, uh, if you could guess. This is uh, I'm, the, the, we're not using your reporter skills. This is this is Kreskin <laughs> looking into the crystal ball type stuff Ooh. here. Um, who? What is the name of a maybe a high profile player or, or star who the Celtics may get rumored with or may have interest in that we haven't heard of? Who's somebody who maybe you look at and say, "Geez, that guy." He is a, a Brad Stevens kind of guy. Who, who do you think that is, or do you have somebody off the top of your head? Is, is there a guy they haven't been rumored with? Like, <laughs> That's I feel fair like point. anybody who's you know That's way fair. to put me on the spot. I'm going through like <laughs> rosters in my mind, thinking, is there anyone like anybody who's been you know when when the, the, the you get a report that Noah's disgruntled in Chicago and people say, well. Bring him to Boston, and yep, right. you know, Gordon Hayward comes. <laughs> Gordon Hayward comes up every time because of the Brad Stevens connection, and you know I don't know. I, it, it's uh, it's funny that you, you focus so much on on the big fish during the season, and, and everyone's thinking, all right, Durant, and you know who else is going to be out there, and people locking on Whiteside, and Biombo um, you know, has a, a big postseason. Everyone wants to sign him, and I, I really get leery when people want to to spend on guys who have a good postseason and that's not to say that some of these guys might not emerge as as you know great players and but again it goes back to um you know people see it once in a series and all of a sudden they think that it's the uh it's the solution to to some of boston's problems and you know i i don't know i wish i had a name for you that i could i'm trying to think of like a guy that i would really um really like to go get um, and like, right, be a joke to be like, well, Le- LeBron. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, get me off the hook. Taking you off the hook. Who is who is a guy who's maybe rumored who you like, who you think would be the perfect fit? 
So, you know, I mean, Okafor comes up all the time now. And like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit leery of that. Maybe more so just because I don't know what else you'd have to give up. Like, is Phil, does Philly want more than the number three pick? And if they do, then I'm then I'm probably not interested because I think, again, there's the guy like Pirtle who you could go get who's pretty much comparable in terms of, of what they do. You know, very good offensive players. Pirtle's probably a better defensive player. You know, Oakford's probably got the higher ceiling overall, and he's given you a season where you've seen that he can do it offensively at the NBA level. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly concern about what he can do defensively. And, um, you know, I think the Celtics – system at, or the way they're set up right now, I thought there's some worry in me that, um, you know, they have a pretty good young center in Tyler Zeller who couldn't get on the floor. And, you know, I think we saw there were times when playing with Rondo and playing in pick and rolls that Tyler was pretty good. Uh, I'm not saying he's the back to the to the basket type of guy that, that Okafor is, but um, you do worry that the, the Celtics prefer to, to spread the floor and they prefer fives like Kelly who can spread things out and so you know that that I'm a little bit leery of that you know you talk about Nerlens and there's uh, a little bit more interest because um, as as uh, maybe as much offensive development as we need to see from him there's the defensive backbone and I think you know Celtics fans have been talking for years since Garnett left about having that rim protecting back line center and so that's intriguing to me but but same deal. I don't necessarily think that's worth giving up the number three pick for. So it, it's tough. You know, I, I, the, the finding deals that make both teams happy is, uh, is, is, a, is, is a tough thing, especially as the draft gets closer because what we saw last year, teams start falling in love with, with players and they just kind of decide that they're going to they're gonna lock in on guys and, and, and use their picks on them. So it, it makes things more challenging. It's why the Celtics didn't make a move in, in February. Nothing got close enough that satisfied both sides. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see what, what the next disgruntled star that becomes available because by before July 1, we'll probably hear plenty about it. And as teams start, as the dominoes start falling, and whether that's, you know, Frank going back to, to Oklahoma City and teams scrambling to, to, to throw money at what's next, I do think it there is a bit of, of – of, to the notion of be patient. And I, again, I know that selfish fans are like knocking over their computer right now saying, we don't want to hear that, but you know, let everybody else overspend, stick to what has put you in this position. Um, you know, be diligent, develop draft, right. And, you know, maybe two or three years from now, you don't have to necessarily, you know, overspend and you're in a position where you can learn a star uh, because you've managed your payroll so well and you've got this intriguing young core that you want to add to and maybe you get lucky. You know, I shouldn't say lucky. You should maybe you maybe you draft so well that you do what the Warriors do and, and build this core. And I'm not saying that, you know, you've got Curry or Thompson or anybody on your roster, but um, maybe you get guys that can work together and you've got Isaiah Thomas and, and you've got Bradley and Smart and all these guys. Uh, there's a chance to build. So, uh, that being said, guys are going to become available, and the Celtics have money, and there's a chance there's going to be, there's going to be a chance to go get them. So, what, what, let's see which uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see which direction they go. I know John said that that was the last question, but I have to follow with one, <laughs> which which is uh, with all of these picks. Let's say they go the route you just said. And uh, maybe they just keep building, and they make every single one of these picks, and possibly they 
trade a pick away this year for a future first round just to stash it and not yeah. have so many players. But do you think there's merit to building this thing where they're drafting these guys and they, even though some of them are middle first rounds, just letting them fall off, letting the James Young, James Young, James Youngs of the world fall off because better competitors earn their spot. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get re-upped. And, and knowing that, you know, you might see eight years down the road a Gerald Green effect with that player, that, that you know what, the competition that this would breed would help the team sift through talent and uh, just increase the chances that they have homegrown all-stars emerging from, from all of this, you know, all of these picks, these first-round picks that they've acquired. Yeah, so that it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough balance, right, because you're worried that, you know, if you're trying to be competitive, that you can't necessarily get these guys the minutes that's going to maybe take to, to, to maybe accelerate their development. And there are going to be guys that, like you said, you know, maybe James Young, if he got enough minutes, would develop and blossom. You know, it's hard to say that now because the minutes he's getting, he's, he's not doing it. But there's certainly something to be said when guys are thrown into an opportunity and get a chance. You know, there's intriguing glimpses. And I'll, you could say that with Terry Rozier and you can – you know, people want to see more of Jordan Mickey, and, you know, so it, it's a tough balance, and you can totally understand where Brad's coming from. His job is to win games, and so, you know, are you going to, if you've got established guys, are you going to throw them in there? So what happens now if the Celtics who already have, what, five first-round picks over the last two years, and or, well, five in the top 35, and then, you know, you go add five more in the top 35 this year, like, there's, there's just not enough room, and so, you know, again, even if you strap and stash two of them, there's, there's, there's way too many. And so you can't get those guys the minutes they need to, to necessarily develop. And yet, there's part of me that sits here and says, uh, if I was in Danny Ainge's position, and I'm thinking about having, as he calls it, eight swings of the bat, I'm intrigued by the, the idea of just draft them all and bring them in, roll a basketball out on the court and go, who wants minutes? You know, and, and like you know, if that doesn't motivate you and that doesn't motivate you to distinguish yourself, then what will? And there You don't belong in the NBA anyway. Yeah, right? Like and I know that from a from a uh uh I don't even necessarily say a fan perspective, but from just from a, a logical standpoint, you don't want to be paying money to guys who aren't going to play. You know, you don't want to have to pay ten million dollars over ten guys and then decide that only five of them are going to make your roster and, you know, at what point do you cut bait? And, you know, they're, they're in a tough spot right now just trying to decide how, how to carry all these guys uh, as, if you're going to be a competitive team. But that being said, I'm just really, really curious to see if, uh, if they would draft, say, five in the top 35 and just hope that you find a Curry, a Draymond, somebody in, you know, that somebody's in there that you trust your scouting enough to target the right guys. And then, I mean, you, you just start thinking about the salary position you put yourself in where you've got, I think, what, 30 million committed to the guys coming back. And that number can drop, you know, based on who they bring back. And you bring in guys that have potential to develop. And all of a sudden you've got, 50 million, 40 million, 30 million, whatever it is in cap space to, to further add to your roster. And so if you could ever build just like the ideal core and this, this, you know, genuinely intriguing young core and, you know, I think seven, six of fans are going, Hey, look at us. And Minnesota's going, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty close to that. You know, there's certainly something to be said that it's got to be a balance, but you know, if you make yourself an intriguing situation with the coach, with the, 
with the front office and you draft right and you, you build the right base, then, man, you can really make yourself a contender for a long term and put yourself just head and shoulders above the league because of the way you've built and the way you've been able to manage the cap. And so, you know, but you got you got to hit and you got to make the right picks, and, and that's the challenge facing Danny right now. Yeah, well, like you said, if you get ten at bats and you bat two fifty, but versus one at bat and you bat, you know, you don't you don't get a hit, then uh, you know it's a numbers game. So everybody, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, great interview as always, Chris. Thanks for taking some time out of your holiday weekend to join us. Ah, thank you guys. And remember, just just go ahead and cut that first part and splice in like I'll I'll kind of say like, oh, we knew Oklahoma City was going to win on. One, two, three. We knew Golden State was going to win, and just throw in whichever one was 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 right and, and make us look smart. <laughs> Sounds good. John and I have already recorded our parts for that, so we're <laughs> we're we're all over it. <laughs> all right, Chris, have all a good right, one. Thanks, Thank guys. you we'll very much. After the draft. All right, everybody. Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, always a great guest. Uh, make sure you know how to follow us on Twitter. Follow CSL at CSL underscore Tweet Live. That's our general. Twitter handle, and then for either myself, at CSL underscore Justin, or John, at CSL underscore Duke. As a matter of fact, we're part of the CLNS Radio Network. You can follow the entire network on at CLNS Radio or on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CLNS fans. The other thing, download the CLNS Radio app if you like our good friend Larry H. Russell's Celtics Beat Show or any uh, any of the other podcasts that we have on the entire network, Just not, Boston, not just Boston Celtics, but if you're a New England sports fan, many other great podcasts covering all the other sports right there on CLNS Radio. Just go over to your app marketplace and search CLNS Radio and finally our YouTube channel with high-definition locker room interviews during the season, full-length interviews, and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. HD postgame show shot right there on the parquet floor at the TD Garden after every home game. John, I want to go right to our conversation with Forsberg and specifically our last question that I kind of threw in there. I said, oh, it was our last question for you. No, not really. <laughs> Sorry, John. You're kidding. <laughs> Made you a liar. But, but really, can this team make all of these picks, not making a trade, and then just trust the competitive process because there's a, there's a big part of all of the discussions that every podcast is having, you and I have had, the media is having. It's, oh, can they make a big splash? Two years ago, Wick Grousebeck said that they were going to make a big splash. Then they didn't. Fireworks. He took some major heat for that. Fireworks, right? Not a big splash. A big boom. And, you know, at the end of the day, nothing happened. We get so focused on it, and with the cap space and with the draft picks, it seems like the likely option. At the same time, like Chris said, Danny's like, hey, we have more at-bats. Well, you know, are you concerned that we might lose a player? Like, let's, let's just use James Young. It doesn't look like he's making it. He definitely won't cut the mustard if they make all of these picks. And, you know, he, he might not have made – he might not have cut the mustard anyway. Terry Rozier might have – pushed him out of, you know, any kind of playing time to prove himself. But he's such a young player. And again, am I ready to sort of give up on him? I am in a way, but I also see how it could be really unfair to somebody who probably could have spent a couple more years in college, and who knows, he might be having the Buddy Heald effect if he'd done that. And then maybe maybe in, in six years, he's a player, maybe like a Joe Johnson, where they go, you know what, 
They just gave up on him too early, and now look what he's doing for somebody else. Well, I I don't mind, and I, I like the you know more at bats analogy. I think that's fine. I I think the idea that somehow <laughs> it that's you know that's like as bad as you really could possibly be. You know, it's like well this it's too much of a good thing. You know, like. Too much candy gonna give you a stomach ache type of attitude. Like you know what, <laughs> you work so hard to get these assets, and it's like, well, you know, no one's gonna give you the right value for these assets. You know, honestly, why even bother? Let's just shut the whole thing down. Take your one pick a year. Hope it's good. Hope it's. I know this is not what you're saying, but you know, I hear this attitude out there sometime of like, how are they gonna, you know, do this? How are they gonna handle all these assets? Like. As if Danny Ainge isn't somehow some sort of savant in in working the system, getting players, you know, putting themselves in the best position possible. Doesn't always happen, but at least putting them in the position to succeed. Okay, so they've got. But it is a great question to ask them how they could possibly deal with all these picks. But no, because no, 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 no. But no, because it they is can, a big they, question. No, because they can deal them away. They can deal them the future years. That's what I. That's where I'm. That's where I'm going. No, I agree with that, and that's probably my number one thing. Would say, look, if you if you make the picks at three and sixteen, why not try to you know package other ones? You know, the second rounders usually are pretty easy to package. Right. You know. Exactly. Hey, you know what? We're the furthest side. All those. What is it? Five second round picks. Yeah. All of those can be moved for future second round picks. No problem, so and, and it's likely that many of them will. And, and so many teams that first round picks, it's not, it's not unlikely that they make all three of those picks, and then all of a sudden it's not eight picks, and it's not so overwhelming. You have so many teams right now that don't have a first round pick because it's not just the Celtics who've done this. You have the Suns have done it. Picks next year would be nice. Well, right, right. If you could turn them into next year picks, you know, your cost for getting in, uh, you know, Brooklyn, we'll give you 16. Well, I guess Brooklyn's a bad choice. But but you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, maybe it's, Brooklyn's a great choice. Well, <laughs> you already have their pick. But, you know, I mean, maybe it's... No, but I mean, right, exactly. You know, no, teams that are, that are you know, Portland. Um, I'm just, you know, kind of, you know, Miami... You know, Oklahoma City, Cleveland. I mean, there may be teams that want to get into this thing. Uh, Dallas, you know, and like, look, okay, we'll give you this pick, but in return, give us your pick next year. That's that's the easiest way to do this. You get a better draft next year. It's fine, but this is this isn't a bad draft. This is a very deep draft. You're going to find role players who who can play. But hold on, let me don't just have let me that talk to Brooklyn thing. Yeah, before you before we jump off the Brooklyn thing, I mean, if Brooklyn called and said they want number sixteen and then they give us their nineteen first round, I'm all in. I'm all in for every Brooklyn pick they'll give us yeah. from now until forever, or the or or the string stops. You know what I mean? Because you're just you're just going to continue to you know buy low and sell high over and over and over. Yeah, well, yeah, but it, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, you don't think they'll do it? No. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think they do you think they're going to try to trade into the first round with somebody? I. I mean, got some players that are in that middle stage. They might as well start going youth movement because they're not going to get the picks anyway. I think so. Well, why hold on to middling talent? And I, you know, I, what's the point? Well, I don't think they can trade next year. I think they'd have to go. 
I think they'd have to go another year beyond 18. No, you're right. It would be 20 because they can't go two years back-to-back without a first-round pick. So they'll have a pick next year, and, you know, who knows where that you – know, we'll be able to dictate where that is. But the, the point being, if they trade someone out, if they trade out to – someone else wants to trade in, Silks can, can certainly get their, their 16 pick and – or, excuse me, their 17 pick, and it's fine. No big deal. Do it in the second round. That's easy. Teams are going to want to perhaps. I mean, we're, we need to consolidate talent. So, like Chris, Chris's idea, which I think is a fine one, you know, move back from three to seven or three to six. You know, you look at a team like Denver. You need talent. You need guys who are who are veteran players. It's very hard to get veteran. I was talking about earlier. It's very hard to get veteran players. But if you if that's the cost to move from seven to three, you get a veteran player, a veteran big. Who you can, who can, you, you know, you can put in your front court, and you're going to get, you know, the seventh pick where you end up with a Murray or, or, a, um, you know, who knows, a Pirtle maybe, you know, then okay, well now we're yes we're adding multiple assets, but we're adding veterans and we're adding players who can help us win right now. Um, you know, we want to consolidate, but you can't just always hope to consolidate. So if you if you if you punt for next year, that's a positive option. If you take a swing on a guy this year, you know, that's you gotta go back to the scouting and put your trust in Danny to have seen these guys. I'm gonna have to trust him. If he says Jalen Brown's a guy I see the makeup. I see the things you were talking about earlier. You know, you know with, with, earlier with Chris and when you and I were talking about there's some there's some question marks I have there, but and Danny, I trust. I mean, I, I do this over and over and over again. I put a lot of trust in that guy. And I think more often than not, he's proven to be right. The Rozier pick is one in particular. I was not a fan of Rozier coming into it. I wasn't a fan of the pick afterwards. But I think he made the right call. It's just a question whether or not he's going to be able to get playing time next year. Well, that's that's one of the things that he almost, if he continues to play and progress, with the way we saw him get minutes in the postseason when Bradley went down, there's another vote of, well, you know, it makes it a little bit easier to package somebody like Bradley like we talked about in the opener. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of moving back a little bit. If you move back, you know, who are you looking at? I know you said Pirtle, but what about, you know, what about a guy like Deontay Davis? Um, Deontay Davis, what about uh, Marquise Chris? What about some of those guys if you were to move back? You know, you're getting a veteran, you know, like you said, a vet big, but then you're getting another young a young big man as well. I, I, I don't know that I'm 100% confident in drafting a guard when, when we literally just said, how are we going to get those guys any minutes, right? right. So why not some of these? Now, uh, Pirtle's one thing, but Chris and Davis are both kind of a swing of the bat. I mean, when Danny talks about having more at-bats, both of those players have some question marks but they have some really nice physical skills and physical tools that that maybe translate. That's kind of why I like Brown, although, you know, Brown's got I think Brown is is a little bit less of a risk than than Chris and Davis mostly because, you know, I think that he does he has he has the the first step. He has the athletic ability unquestioning. He has an NBA body. He has drive. But, you know, with Chris and Davis, you know, they've got a couple of different things going on, but they're a little bit more of a gamble. You bring in a vet, you gamble on that. Don't you, don't you think you almost have to go big man? I mean, Sullinger's pretty much, he may be out, and they're going to all of a sudden be really thin, even if the Celtics do move, move Jay Crowder to the four. Well, that's, and that's the, 
<laughs> that's the problem, right? Is that you and I are looking at it and saying, okay, this is the team they have. This is what they need. And Danny's just saying, well, this is what I, this is how good the guy can be. And I, I you know, it makes it very tough for us because we're looking at this and saying, you're right, we, you need some shot blocking. You know, when, when J.R. Giddens was the pick, and I, we were doing the show, and, and if we go back to the archives, back to 2008, 2009, you know, that was a guy we were talking about was, you know, DeAndre Jordan. Gee, this, you know, a young, young guy, you know, can jump out of the gym, you know, block shots, back up perk, perfect. Went for Giddens, thought you needed the Tony Allen replacement. Didn't work out. I think you're right, though. I think let's talk about Scalabissier, too. A guy who, I was just going to go there. He's a Somebody guy who yeah. he can step out and shoot it, but he's also got you know the, the long, lean build. It didn't work out from this year in Kentucky, but, and, but those guys have come out of there pretty strong, too. So, And there's more spacing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And they and and to have that spacing work in the NBA, his skill set translates well. Not to mention, we've already got a scal. And can you imagine <laughs> on the broadcasting? It'd be that will be the I love Walter for Brian Scalabrini, right? Two scals. I don't think there's enough room in to this what? town for two scals. Like you can just see it just taking on a life of its own. It would be from an entertainment. I know this is nothing about basketball, and maybe I'm even lowering the quality of CSL yeah. right now by saying it. But but there, from an entertainment standpoint, is a ton of value in taking Scal. I, I would say no. I think you're right. I think I think he's a a, a risk. Um, I, I like Pirtle. Just like it, it depends upon where you're going down. You know, if you're going down eight, nine, ten, eleven, I think Marquise Chris is a very exciting idea. You know, he's kind of that three four guy that can swing, and and I think would work really well with Jay Crowder. You know, kind of has that length, but can step outside, does a little bit of this and that, um, really kind of jump out of the gym type athleticism and can shoot it a bit. So that I, he's a guy to me that I'd really be looking at. If they go back, that they'd look to get him. Um, I think if I, my guy, I asked, Chris, this who's the guy you know you tra- draft for you know, look for the guy I'm looking at Sabonis. I think the Celtics really like Sabonis, and they I can think, get him at 16. I don't think you think they can? And you know we've been not. talking about this since March. Yep, we've had this Sabonis yes sort of underlying conversation. If you think you can get Sabonis at 16, I don't think you worry as much about Pirtle or you know taking a swing at. Davis and Labissier. I think you get you can get Chris, you can get Sabonis, and now you've got a front kind of a young front court there. I think Sabonis really, I think he's going to be good at the next level. I I really do. He's going to be crafty. You know, he's. Gonna, I just I really like the skills that guy has. I think he can. I, can, I think he can do a lot of things at the next level. Um, it's interesting to see Denzel Valentine jumping down in that draft express. Uh, you know, thing uh, in their latest mock. I mean, he's down at 20. I expect he's going to move up as they get into some workouts. I think he's going to show well. I think he's going to be in the range of that 16 pick. But, 
you know, when you come back to the top, like you and I are, and we're talking about, you know, what's the future? Is it better to hold on to these players, to hold on to these picks, to, to go and, and try to develop from within? I mean, we talked about this with Mike Gorman, you know, our first show back. You know, having these guys under Brad Stevens is a huge plus. Having guys who are within the system, really, it really does make a difference. And unless you can really have a sure thing with who you're getting, and maybe Gordon Hayward is is a sure thing that you're going to get because you know what you know exactly what you're going to get with him. Maybe you maybe we should be a little bit more reticent to make those deals, you know, and, and package those picks, um, you know, just try to roll well, them over. Trying like, to determine the value of the main red clause. I mean, when you really look at. Mm-hmm. Look, if you have all these players, but they can't all get playing time, and even if you move some to the future, it doesn't matter. Even if you only make one draft pick, at this point, as constructed, no trades, let's just say it's draft route every single year, it still is going to put a cramp on the roster in playing time. So a big part of this process will be learning how much value that main Red Claws program has to the Celtics in terms of teaching the concepts of the Celtics, you know, making the players ready to come up and contribute. You know, when you, when you saw the James Young performance, you're thinking, you know, I mean, maybe early on defensively we thought there were improvements. It seemed like he was more comfortable out there. I think maybe the reason people are willing to give up on him is because he's missing shots. Well, that's not Maine's fault. That's his fault. That's confidence. That's, you know, we're, it's whatever the makeup is. We know we can hit those buckets. We've seen him hit those buckets. He's missing shots without a hand in his face. That's a completely different issue. But it did seem like he had made some progress defensively out on the floor. Didn't look as lost. We have to learn how much that system can prepare these players. Can you spend three years in Portland, Maine, under the tutelage of, you know, the Celtics, you know, coaches – minor league coaches, and then come up and play Brad Stevens' system and be ready to contribute. Can they, you know, we're always hiding these players overseas. Well, one of the reasons is there was no value of keeping them stateside. Mm -hmm. But now the D-League is working very diligently to provide value for keeping them stateside. Now, you only have so many roster spots that can be committed, and there's, you know, there's still a delicate dance, and you're still going to have people fall off. But more so... Can they learn the the system? Can they learn the terminology? Can somebody legitimately, after two or three years with the Red Claws, end up coming up in a playoff scenario due to an injury like an Avery Bradley in the case of Terry Rozier this year? But imagine if he had two or three years of the Red Claws. Would he be that much further ahead and ready to contribute and have at least a decent amount of chemistry with the players on the floor just because he understands what's being run? Can that work? Can that happen? We really have never been able to answer that question. We've seen D-League players contribute, but it's always been a situation where, you know, um, what's the guy from the main Red Claws this year? Tim Frazier, right? He was ready to contribute. He got all that time, but it wasn't with the Celtics. He went to, was it the Grizzlies? So, uh, no, uh, Portland. Or Portland. Mm, I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, or the Pelicans. I, yeah, it was well, Pelicans, I think. But the point is, he was ready to play, but it wasn't a system translating thing. It was just, you know, the guy who's tough work ethic, great scorer, got an opportunity, made the most of it. I'm talking, can this take the next step? And if it can, 
then this situation you and I are talking about might actually be because listen, we can't do what Golden State did. That's already been done. There's got to be the next way. You know, what's the new model for the next champion? And well, I, I, I just wonder if that could be part of that could be part of the pieces. We've seen some success. I mean, I think Rozier has came up here and played well, and and certainly showed fruits of that. Now, how directly can we say that was from his time in Maine versus not? Uh, I don't know. I think you could say probably the same of of uh, Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley certainly played time up here, and you know, while he was not, you know, his early years were not, or his first first year was pretty bad in Boston. Um, you know, it it certainly he didn't lose anything. Now. We've have certainly gone the other way too. Fab Mello blew it up up here. I mean, quadruple doubles and you know, all this didn't didn't do well for him. Uh, you know, James Young, another one where really it didn't didn't pan out for him up here. Uh, I don't think we're I don't I don't know that we we can definitively say it's helping, but I think the fact that they get to play helps somewhat. But you have to take, I think, comparing the international scene to here is, is where it's, you know, perhaps case by case. A guy like Bender, for example, you know, you want to see him playing possibly overseas because he's going to be playing at the second best level of talent in the world in the international, you know, in, in the Israeli league and Euro league, playing for a top, top talent, top, top league in a top, in the top, you know, of the world, aside from the NBA, that may be, as Chris said, it may be better to have him stay if he's really not going to contribute at all next year. I don't think they'll do that just for a third pick. But you've seen them take Colton Iverson and take Marcus Thornton and send them away. So they don't have 100%. But you can do that with late first rounders and second round picks. I really don't think you can do that with a number three overall pick. I, I mean, I understand why you propose it, but you just yeah. can't do that. What if he gets an injury and the surgery doesn't go right? Like, no team is going to want to, especially the Celtics, when you know those that when was the last time they picked three? You know what I mean? So, so the point is, you know, like you said with with Forsberg, it's been a while. And so you take you, you just can't. The team just going to want to control the player from a from a medical and training standpoint. Yeah. You know, would there be benefits to keeping him overseas and letting him play? Absolutely, no no question, no question. But does the team want to end up in a situation where you know th- that person gets injured and the injury isn't handled right, or you know something something along those lines, something that's not handled properly? They're just going to want that player working in their system with their people, and that's why I go back to the main red clause. I just wonder how much more evolved. I mean, could you imagine the NBA with a legit minor league system, not this, like, confounded one-and-done in the college ranks, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know what no, else? It would be, be amazing. Those, and those bubble players might not come out of college quite as fast for that reason because they know that they're not a top-20 pick. It might actually help college basketball if the D-League got better, because then they'd hone their craft to make sure that they didn't lose playing time or not perform because they're a bubble player for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the D-League on an unassigned contract. You know, they just signed directly with the D-League, but maybe a few ye- extra years under the right coaching, then they go into the D-League and they wind up earning that opportunity. You know, versus, you know, I'm a little too raw 
and now all these guys who know the game are eating me alive in the D League, and now I'm really falling off because you know I wasn't a top pick, and the organization's not committed to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this is uh, this is going to be, I think, a big battleground for the the CBA, the new CBA, in a year. I think that's something that we're going to see a lot of discussion about. The problem for the Celtics, of course, is they have to get these guys under contract now. You know, or or under under their control, or make decisions at least of whether or not they're going to be under their control now. And there's going to be some gambles. You know, it's it's kind of like it's not unlike what's what's going on with Golden State. I mean, there was a lot of guessing game in in what they hoped would what would happen, and it worked out for them. There's other teams it didn't work out so well. Miami, for example. You know, they had some guesses. Hey, guess what? They signed these three max guys. The CBA turns, and then it's a whole lot more difficult to hold on to players and and to pay a luxury tax year after year after year. So, I you know you've got to hope that that they've got they've read some tea leaves and, and they know exactly what direction that the the CBA could go in trying to control players. But I think ultimately, and we've said this before on the show, ideally. They're the championship contender next year, and and they're able to parcel out these eight picks to somebody else, and get players and and raise the the level of ability of their team. You know, and ESPN saying this week, you know, they have. I mean, these these aren't official in any way whatsoever, but it always is nice to see that the Celtics, in terms of their future power rankings, were ranked third. I think behind only uh, Golden State and it wasn't San Antonio. Who was the who was the second team? But it was Golden State and Celtics. I didn't see that. I just saw the odds of winning the championship, and they were just behind the Clippers with twenty to one odds for next season, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. But I mean, they were in the seventh slot odds wise. I mean, that's nuts. That's it's and it's a it's you know. We're at that point now. People believe this. Now it's you know it's only now you just have to do it. <laughs> you know, oh, it's great. You know, we all think you're going to be great, but uh, uh, now you have to actually do that thing. That's not. It's a lot easier said than done. But the same thing. Yeah, as we've seen it, the last the two seasons. That's right. No, you're right. You're right. And and bringing in a piece and the trades. And we'll talk more about that. I think you know one of the things you and I were going to talk about is some of those. You know, what if they do make the, the, the second two picks in that first round? We'll have to table that for next week and, and take a look at some of those middle-of-the-ground guys. Although, you teased it with Sabonis, but there's other players yeah. in that middle of the pack. And, you know, there's always one of them. One of those two picks is a draft and stash on Draft Express's mock, you know, mock draft board. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be a trade before draft night. I, I think it will happen... Because they have to see how these players pop down. Mm-hmm. The only, but it would be nice if the Celtics, you know, did have the opportunity to make a deal, you know, like with a few hours to go. Because you know we're going to have our draft night show. And just so anybody who's listening who's new to the show, the first year, I think it went six, six and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, we are beginning to plan for the draft night show as we speak. I don't know that it's going to be six and a half hours, but I guess it depends on you know what we see with some of these picks. Um, you know, the first round usually takes a couple of hours, so we're going to be online. We're going to be airing. We're going to be broadcasting live. We're definitely going to have people uh, to, or our guests 
joining us and talking about it. But, John, I think, you know, we got a few more shows leading up to it. We're going to have to hit some of these middle-of-the-pack guys, but I think you're right. I think the best thing to do in many cases, maybe even trade down, package some of these for future picks. Let's just keep that cachet, you know, or that cache of picks available and in the bank. I'd hate to see them all go away. I think there's, I think you're right. I think they're already believing in it, and there hasn't even been a trade. So... (laughs) It's a good. It's a good place to be. I, you know, it's better. It's better to be there than even Philly. You know, we keep beating ourselves up. Oh, we have too many picks. We have this and that. We have people who say, you know, well, Philly could make a better deal because they've got a higher pick. Who the hell wants to play in Philly? You know, you think any star worth their weight is going to let a deal go through where they can be traded to Philly? No. You know, Philly is a great basketball city. Unfortunately, it's the Brooklyn scenario, oh, you know, as yeah. far as, you know, and the Colangelo's are going to help with that. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, they'll get, but, they're, but, they're, but they'll get there, but nobody's going to want to do it overnight. No. Nobody is going to want to be the first to jump. That's why the draft is so important. Some of those guys have to hit. Yep. And uh, and that's that's the biggest thing. I think we got to put a wrap on this show, but we're going to be back next week. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as on CLNSRadio.com. Just want to thank everybody who tuned in. Just a reminder, you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating or a review. We definitely love feedback. Your feedback, I've seen a couple on iTunes already. It's really important to us. Uh, not only does it give John and I the energy and enthusiasm to, to do the show and bring it to you every week, but also it helps us make sure that we're talking about the things and doing the job that you would all hope to, to hear from us week after week. So we want those ratings and reviews. Definitely follow us on Twitter. We'd love to get questions like we've been getting from RJ Hunter fan 28 on Twitter for the show. So definitely do that. Also a reminder, today's show is brought to you by Loot Crate. They've got a great deal for all you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting our show and the entire CLNS radio network. Just go to lootcrate.com backslash CLNS and then use that promo code CLNS to save $3 on your subscription. A big thanks to you, all of you listening to the show, the CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile for myself and John. And on our way out for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.